In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your gospel, your good news. And we ask, Lord, that you would communicate your gospel through your word. Bless the preaching of your word. May we have ears and open hearts to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it was almost a year ago that our friend Chris received his cancer diagnosis. As a young husband and a father of four, uh, he was a young husband and a father of four, this was devastating news. Our church had lost a father of nine just months before, and this news was more than our little community could handle. We prayed and prayed. We fasted and prayed some more. Doctors, insurance, priests, friends, families, everyone and everything we could think of were consulted. We were desperate. Desperation. It's a common experience for us all. Each day we are faced with new problems and new challenges and new situations. Some are more difficult and serious than others, but the process of overcoming them is usually the same. What's the solution? What has worked in the past? What is going to fix the problem quickest so that we can get back to life? We might begin with the easiest fix, and if that doesn't work, certainly the cheapest fix will be our next solution. And on and on it goes until the hardest and most difficult possibilities have been exhausted to no avail. Now we are desperate. For some of us, this may be the first time that prayer has entered into our mind as a possible solution. And we cry out to God for mercy, and we patiently wait. And we wait. Does God even care about my crisis? And there it is. The age-old temptation disguised as reason or logic. The reasonable and logical conclusion after all avenues of relief have been sought is that God doesn't really care. Our passage this morning is about two desperate people. They really are not that extraordinary or heroic. However, they are both at the end of their ropes. And perhaps, having exhausted all other options, they're going to give the miracle-working Jesus a try. And what they both discover is instead of an apathetic God who doesn't care about their medical conditions or their children or their well-being, instead what they find is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Even though Mark gives us two seemingly different isolated stories, we need to understand first that how they interact together. You may have noticed a little gospel sandwich in our reading this morning. The story of Jairus' daughter begins and ends the story, but inserted within it is this narrative of the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And I don't think Mark is simply telling us of two isolated events as they happen in, in time, but he gives us one event in the middle by which we are to understand the Jairus event on both ends. So our passage this morning begins with Jesus returning from the other side of the sea. And he's met by a man named Jairus, desperate for healing of his daughter. He's not likely a rich man, but it is likely that he had at his disposal the ordinary means of his day to address the illness of his children. And by the time our Lord's feet reach the shore, Jairus is desperate. And so is his daughter. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be made well and live. One of the ways that human beings are made in the image of God is that we possess an imagination, don't we? We have this amazing ability to ponder possibilities and project those possibilities out into the future, at least in our minds. This is where faith and hope intersect. We believe the promises made and imagine the final outcome. So, like Jairus, we all have an imagination. And we bring that with us any time we plead with the Lord. Obviously, Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. And desperation had ignited his imagination. If Jesus, if Jesus would just touch his daughter, she would be restored. As we will see, Jairus' imagination did not quite line up with God's. Not completely. But here, I think, is where Mark invites us into Jairus' sandals for a moment. We meet another desperate person, don't we? The woman who has a discharge of blood and has had one for 12 years. In contrast to Jairus' daughter, who's at the point of death, this woman's condition is not life-threatening. Since she just has lived, since she's lived with it for 12 years, she could at least live with it for another hour or two while Jesus goes and heals Jairus' daughter. These are two different situations. Both Jairus and this woman are desperate, and they have both come to Jesus for help, despite how different their situations are. Jairus is about to witness Jesus show compassion to someone whose situation is less dire than his own. He is about to see the Lord answer a woman's prayer just as she imagined he would. That's what Jairus is about to see. 
Now, I don't think that Mark wants us to compare our suffering to the suffering of others. Yes, perhaps if forced to choose between chronic bleeding and death, we'd choose chronic bleeding. But suffering is suffering, isn't it? Just because you're sharing a pew with someone you know is suffering more than you doesn't mean that you are not also suffering. What I think Mark wants us to see is that Jairus is about to face a reality that we will all face sooner or later, if we haven't already. That God doesn't always answer our prayers according to our imagination. Something is about to happen to Jairus in verse 35. What is about to happen is the very thing he wanted to avoid by imploring Jesus in the first place. The death of his daughter. Here we see the woman healed just like you and I hear stories of miracles and answered prayers. But what Jairus is about to experience is what you and I also experience. That age-old temptation to believe the words of that ancient serpent. Did God actually say Does God really care? He doesn't care about you. He cares about himself. And that's the lie. And while Jesus is speaking words of peace to the woman he's just healed, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. He doesn't realize it, just as we rarely realize it, but this is the watershed moment. This is the crossroads for Jairus. The news of his daughter's death seems as final and disappointing as possible. And I don't think it's difficult to stand in Jairus' shoes at this point. Like Jairus, we know that this man, Jesus, is able to heal. And we also know what it's like to plead with God for one thing, only to receive the news of the exact opposite. I hope we are all familiar with the sensation of anger and disappointment and frustration that could have exploded from Jairus at this moment. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Jairus isn't really given any time to doubt. Instead, he is faced with another way. Not anger or disappointment, but belief. What? Belief? Only belief? Was it not belief that led us to Jesus in the first place? Was it not belief that healed that woman who touched Jesus' garment? Was it not belief that got us to where we are today? And is it not belief that has led to this disappointment? Our Old Testament passage in Lamentations 3 is preceded by another desperate situation. 
If you go back and read the beginning of chapter 3, Jeremiah the prophet says that he is under the rod of the Lord's wrath. He suffers greatly, suffers affliction. He even goes this far. He calls God a bear who is lying in wait for him to tear him into pieces. Lamentations 3 seems to go beyond desperation all the way to despair. It seems to say the Lord doesn't care. That is, until we get to verse 24, where that same prophet says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now, it takes a long time of walking with the Lord before you grow accustomed to waiting for the salvation of the Lord, doesn't it? And I'm not sure that ever actually happens. Waiting can sometimes be a welcomed command. Like, wait until you're 50 to get regular colonoscopies. That's a welcome command for me so far. But usually we hope that waiting is just merely delayed gratification, don't we? God will fulfill our wishes and our desires, our imagination. It'll just take some time, right? But that isn't the promise. Jeremiah says that the Lord is his portion. It is the Lord he is waiting for. Not the millions of things his imagination can conjure up. Even while suffering under God's wrath. Jeremiah says this in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, Jairus had an expectation that Jesus would come to his house, lay his hands on his daughter, heal her, so they could get back to living life. Now that she's dead, Jesus says, only believe. In other words, I'm not done, Jairus. You rightly came to me, and you have seen, unlike many others, that I can accomplish what you ask. If you do not fear and only believe. In other words, if you wait, and if you set aside your expectations, your timelines, and your imagination, if you trust that I am merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, if you only trust me, More than your imagination, I'll do far more abundantly than you can ask or think according to the power that is working in me. The conclusion of our passage demonstrates this. Jairus asked for healing, but Jesus had something better in mind, didn't he? Jesus took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And they were overcome with amazement. 
As tempted as he may have been to resort to anger, Jairus continued with Jesus. What else could he do? He continued to walk with him into what must have been a hopeless situation for Jairus. And he received more than he had asked for. But in a way, he also received only half of what he asked for, didn't he? He asked for healing and life. He didn't receive the healing. His daughter died. But there she was, walking in front of him, alive. Our friend Chris, who I told you about at the beginning, succumbed to his cancer on December 14th. It's about four months after his original diagnosis, and just before Christmas. Despite our prayers, our vigils, our fasting, our fear, and even our belief, the God who could have healed him did not. Did God care about him? Did God care about his children or his wife? The road of anger and bitterness lies open and ready to receive each of us. But so does another way. I don't know why the Lord didn't spare Chris. But I know that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwelt in my brother Chris and will also give life to his mortal body. Which is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, the Lord does care about you. Even if His promises don't quite line up with your imagination. I don't know how desperate you are or have been, and I don't know the extent to which your prayers have or have not been answered. But the thing to keep in mind is that Mark has 16 chapters. Okay? We're only in the fifth. Jesus wasn't done then. And even after raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, as wonderful as this is, it wasn't the crescendo of Mark's gospel. As wonderful as it must have been to see Jesus calm the storm or cast out demons or for Peter to walk on water, none of it compares to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I implore you to cry out to the Lord in your most desperate times. But let your imagination, your hope, be informed by the promise that the resurrected Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. And that however great our affliction, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just like Jairus, we want life, we want healing. And we know that you're kind and you're compassionate. And we know that our lives are in your hand and that your providential guidance of all creation is what sustains us and all that is around us. 
But Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would so fashion and shape our minds and our hearts and our imaginations by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promises that we have in him. That even when you have a different imagination than us, that we, like Jeremiah, could rejoice and declare that great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.